Hi, friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, Associate Pastor Bill Orris preached out of a passage in Mark 2. Bill asks us, do you really want to be like Jesus? When we look closely at Jesus' ministry, it challenges us to love and care for people we often overlook or even want to disassociate from. Jesus was indeed a friend for sinners. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can always find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace, friends. Do you remember when you were a kid, um, grandparents or teachers or neighbors would come up to you and they would ask you this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? What were some of your answers? Well, so let's see. The last two weeks, you had a professor here and encouraged us to talk, right? Do you remember that? <laughs> so then I asked you a question. You went, what were some of your answers? I want to sell Avon. Avon. <laughs> Becky, that's a good one, yeah? What else? A lawyer? A teacher? Fireman? A what? A pilot. Oh. A what? What did you say, Joe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It's just like all the things you want to be. And a lot of times, it was people around us that we watched and saw, right? Teachers that had influence on us or a construction worker or drive the garbage truck, you know, whatever, a nurse, whatever. We watched that and it was what, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, there was a person in the advertising department at Gatorade that thought to himself, he said, well, hopefully we don't ask the question about what, maybe who, who do you want to be when you grow up? And he had a brilliant idea. And they said, Gatorade said, really? And he said, yeah. So in 1991, this came out. Watch this with us. Sometimes I think that he's me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. He like my like my like my You remember that? Yep. They made millions and millions of dollars on that commercial, Be Like Mike, and so did he. <laughs> so did he. It was the first commercial of its time, and that decided to use sports figures like that, and from that time on, right? Look how it's just exploded. And then it's even caused controversies within the sports figure world, right? No, I don't want people to imitate me. 
Be like Mike. Hmm. I refereed a game at Loyola Academy, and Mike Jordan, Michael Jordan's sons, played there. They had a whole section cordoned off in the stands, roped off. Why do you think it was roped off? Because who would come to the games? And his wife and his kids had a cordon off a whole section so he could at least sit and watch his kids play. The game I did, he wasn't there, but she was there. And a family had people watching and stuff. He would get just bombarded. Be like Mike. What an amazing role model, huh? Look what happened in his life, his own family life. But guess what? I'm not okay either. And let's try it again. I'm not okay. And we're not okay. We each have our issues, don't we? Every one of us. I'm not going to look at him only and the stuff that he did right and wrong because we all have. Be like Mike. There's only one person, one person that we could be like, that we could imitate and watch, learn from, look like, be like. That person's name is? Yeah, so I'm going to ask that this morning. Do you really want to be like Jesus? No, I mean, do you really, really want to be like Jesus? There are some of us in this room that have been following Jesus for years and decades. And we have in our mind who Jesus is. We've learned who Jesus is. There's some of us asking questions who Jesus is for the first time, discovering what Christianity is about and what the church has taught about who Jesus really is. So I want to ask us, do we really want to be like Jesus? 25 years ago, that question was posed to me and 200 other pastors as I attended a conference in Virginia Beach I went away to this conference, as most pastors do, we go to conferences learning and growing, and most conferences are three to four days. This was a 10-day conference. Are you hearing me? 10 days. I've never seen a 10-day conference before and never since, and I've never been to one since. It was led by Dr. Ralph Neighbor. Dr. Ralph Neighbor is a missionary, an author, a pastor, and a professor uh, 200 pastors came from literally all over the United States, Canada, and around the world. Every Christian denomination that you can think of. Are you hearing me? Every one that you can think of. All the different Protestant forms. Our brothers and sisters from the Greek Orthodox faith, from the Catholic faith. you get it? Every branch of Christianity. So we had the gamut. Dressed like this, in clerical garb, right? In collars, men and women from all around the world. The conference on and how challenging us on how we do church and giving us a different paradigm, a shift in how we do church. And he began the conference by saying, do you really want to be like Jesus? He challenged us how we were taught to do church, the way we were instructed as pastors going to seminary or going to Bible school, and how people in our church do church. <laughs> As a follower of Jesus, if we really want to follow Jesus, do we really want to be like him? So he began with this. 
you want to write it down, you run the back page there. You can write notes. I love how Pastor Jen always had sermon notes and doodles. Three domains of learning. There are three domains of learning. The first domain of learning is this, cognitive domain. The cognitive domain. Knowledge is learned. It requires a teacher. And everything in the cognitive domain of learning is logical. All of us here in this room have spent in the cognitive domain. How many here went to elementary school? You get my point? Middle school, junior high, high school, and whether you went to other uh, college and after that. The cognitive domain of learning, it requires a teacher. We sit and write. You with me? The second domain of learning is called psychomotor. Psychomotor. Skills are learned in this domain. It requires a instructor. Do you hear the difference? A teacher in the first one, an instructor in the second one. Practice is required. You cannot do it alone. In my high school, we had an academic building and we had a vocational building. Did anybody grow up in a high school like that or in a school? Can anybody picture what that means? An academic building and a vocational building. What do you think? In the academic building, cognitive, right? You with me? In the vocational building, were boys and girls that would study to become? Did anybody have wood shop? Metal shop? Automotive? Home economics? Right? All of that took place in the vocational building. I grew up in western Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh. So these kids literally were able then right after high school to go into the trades, right? They became journeymen and women, then eventually became master plumbers, whatever. But they were trained right there in school and could be hired at 18. We had steel mills in Pennsylvania. You with me? Psychomotor. The instructor helped them, and you were online. You were there working, doing it. You know, I took some classes over there, too. And every time it came in, the teacher said, Billy, come on, Billy, I don't want you to lose your fingers in woodshop today. <laughs> you have to pay attention. You can't be talking to everybody, because <laughs> you can imagine, right? I can go over to the right place, can you see me and do that? Because you're in the trades, right? I had to stay focused as he would take me, take me by hand, and I loved home economics class, too. I had a blast in that. It requires a structure, an instructor. And finally, the third domain is affective. Do you see that with an A? Affective domain of learning. Values are formed in this domain. Values are formed. It requires a facilitator. First one requires a teacher. Second one, an instructor, right, Mike? The third one is a facilitator. So this person, he or she takes you by the hand and they walk with you. They walk with you in that journey. They provide endless experiences. Endless experiences. This domain of learning is experiential. You learn by experience. We communicate far more by what we do than by what we say. Dr. Neighbor said, you will never able to effectively guide someone else unless you personally experience it yourself. An amazing quote. You will never be able to guide, effectively guide someone else unless you personally 
experience it yourself. He looked at us pastors and he said, we have spent all of our time in which one of those three domains of learning do you think? One, two, or three. One, you're right, Ed, cognitive. We spent all our time in the cognitive. This was 25 years ago, and sadly to say, seminary still 25 years later is in the cognitive domain of learning. It's even gotten worse because there was no such thing as online training, right? Jamie, even before the pandemic, there were some online courses, but now there's a plethora of them. So people can go to seminary and just do it online and occasionally go in, all cognitive domain. He then said, most of us in our churches today have spent all of our time in the cognitive domain learning, the way we do church. And then he said this to 200 pastors, quote, we mistakenly think teaching and preaching changes the value of believers and others. We mistakenly think that teaching and preaching changes the value. Yes, teaching and preaching, of course, are very important, Dr. Neighbor says, but for values to be changed, we need to move more in the effective domain of learning. So if you take all the teaching of Jesus, some of you had a red-letter Bible. So red-letter Bibles, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you take the teachings of Jesus, which would be in the red letters, are you with me? Okay. If you take all the red letters, the teaching of Jesus, how long do you would think it would take for you to read the teaching of Jesus? Can't hear anybody. Five hours. Another guess? Couple months, another guess. What? Yeah, Scott's going to get the gold star. Would you believe the teaching of Jesus is less than an hour? 45. Can you believe that, Connie? To 50 minutes you could read the teaching of Jesus. Think about that, Susan. The Gospel of Mark, most scholars believe it's the shortest, and it is the shortest, and it's the first gospel that was written. You could read the entire Gospel of Mark in less than an hour. Jesus spent all of his time in what domain of learning do you think? Affective, Sean. The affective domain of learning. His entire time was in the affective domain of learning. And he had 12 friends called 12 disciples that followed him. He spent all of his time in there. Never in the other two. He taught and, right? But when he taught and preached, he gave examples all the time. You see this field over here? The farmer takes it. He's going to send this many workers out in the field. Oh, as this person go along, they're scattering seeds here. He showed them what they were doing. Oh, do you see them fishing out there? I'm going to make you fishers of all people. Gave right and one example after another. He lived with his disciples. Do you see those Pharisees with their long robes coming in. They want everybody to see when they put the money that they're giving their tithes and the offerings. But look at that widow over there. She has given more. He gave example after example to his disciples. He sent them out in the Gospel of Luke 9 and 10 by twos. Sent them out to go into the news and to share the good news of the Gospel. Gave them example and what to bring. He spent his time in the affective domain. 
Have you heard this phrase? Vision is caught, not taught. I could teach it to you, but you will catch it more by us spending time together. Dr. Neighbor then shared with us this following story about his own life. He said this, Pastor Arthur Blessed, who was my mentor, put me in his car in 1966, and he drove the two of us into an area of Hollywood. We were serving a church in Hollywood. That's California, where there were no known followers of Jesus. None. No churches Nothing in this area. In the middle of a quiet residential street as we were driving, Pastor Arthur suddenly pulled over the curb and said this, The Lord has just told me we are going to see someone give their life to Jesus right here on this spot. Now, mind you, he paused and said, I'm a Baptist. And so is Pastor Arthur. Growing up in a Baptist church, we rarely hear the Lord has just told me. My Pentecostal brothers and sisters hear that the Lord has just told me. But we've never heard that. And so we got out of the car as I followed Pastor Arthur. And we knelt down and prayed right in this grassy area. You know how sometimes there's divided grass area on either side, especially in Hollywood. Right there and begin to pray. Asking Jesus to show us who he wants to come to know him. As we were praying for a while, we noticed a car driving slowly up and down the street, passing us by several times. So once it stopped, Pastor Arthur walked over and waved at the driver, and she rolled down her window. It happened to be a woman in her 20s with two small children in the back seat. Pastor Arthur said, excuse me. He introduced himself, and then he said this, I believe you have come to this street because you need to know who Jesus is. Jesus has sent me here to meet with you. And I'm here waiting for you now. She immediately began to weep and said, My husband has deserted me, and I have no way to support our two little girls. I decided to end my life and their lives, so I turned on the gas in my apartment. But then I realized, why would I destroy my daughter's lives, even though I was ready for mine to end? So I took my two little girls, put them in the car, and we left our apartment so the fumes would get out. And I have been driving aimlessly up and down the street before we could go back. Maybe God really has sent you to me. In that moment, Pastor Arthur shared the good news of Jesus, how he loves us unconditionally. And right there, she prayed and gave her life to Jesus. He then gave her the address of his place, a coffee house that Pastor Arthur opened up to care for people in Hollywood. 
Dr. Neighbor says this was one of the turning points in my life that I will never forget. It was the first time I have been exposed to a word of knowledge. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 called a word of knowledge that God speaks to you and me. It was so clearly confirmed. By leading, by doing, Pastor Arthur permanently impact my life. We as American Christians have failed to reach those in our communities that are far away from God. We have failed miserably. Because mainly we as pastors and leaders have failed modeling lifestyle evangelism to you. Oh, we believe in evangelism. The word evangelism means good news. There's good news to share. Amen? We have good news who Jesus is. We believe in it as pastors and leaders, and we all believe in it. But not only have we failed, so has the church. How many of us are with people that are far from Jesus? The thousands in DeKalb and Sycamore and Cortland and all around us, wherever we live, that don't give a rip about God or give a rip that you go to church. Not one bit. How many of us are reaching and are being my words with the spiritually homeless? Home, right here. Their heart is empty. Because Jesus is not there yet. Many of us have taken classes and gone to seminars on what it means to share our faith. <laughs> Many of us have studied what it means to fish because Jesus said, I will make you fishers of people. We buy the fishing pole, the fishing rod, the reel, and everything else, right? But how many of us go fishing? Too many times I think we are keepers of the aquarium. We like the aquarium the way it is. We get upset if things change in the aquarium. I shouldn't go there, should I? Because we want everything the same way in the aquarium. Don't move stuff around. Because we're keepers of the aquarium. Instead of actually out fishing being with people, sitting with them. So Dr. Neighbor looked at us on that first night and said, do you really want to be like Jesus? To 200 pastors. How much time he looked at us and said, do you spend with people that are far from God? Unchurched people, how much time do you spend with them during your week? So he said, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, turn to the pastor next to you, Introduce yourself and answer the question. 200 of us, boom. Men and women turning right next to each other. Turn right next to the person next to me. It happened to be a guy. He said, I don't need 30 seconds. He introduced himself. Bill, I don't need 30 seconds. Zero. Zero. 
My life is consumed with the church, consumed with committees, consumed with meetings, consumed with everything in the church. I am there almost every day of the week. I have more boards and committee meetings than you can think of. This was 25 years ago. Praise God we've changed our structure here. Amen? Because this church, like every church 25 years ago where I was involved in, right, Michael? Every night I was going to a committee meeting. And we would table it for the next month before we could send it up to the board. Do you remember executive boards? Do you remember all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And never make a decision. And have dozens and dozens of us in a small church like this, 30 to 40 people involved and thinking that's ministry. He looked at me and said, how about you? And I said, I referee football and basketball and I umpire baseball. And many of them are my friends. Don't go to church. Some do. Don't give a rip about God. If I didn't have that, it's zero. And even that's dwindling because I'm more, I was, even though it was part of my call letter when I was at Crossroads coming to church, they liked that I did that. I had to keep coming back here because I had too many meetings. And then when we were all done, after those 30 seconds, um, told us to open up our Bibles. We didn't have screens with putting scripture on it and said, open up your Bibles. And this is what we read. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not, I have not, I have, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mark 2, 13 through 17. Matthew eleven nineteen. the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard. Did you hear that? Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Luke 5, 30, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Luke 5, 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 15, 1, now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Luke 15, 2, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law murmured and grumbled and complained. This man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Hmm. In our passage today that I read, did you notice that the 
tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. They were dining with Jesus. In Luke 15, 1, they were gathering. It comes from a Greek word that means a habitual coming around Jesus. It wasn't a one-time thing. You get it? They liked hanging around Jesus. Did you notice what Mark said that there? Uh, it's the leaders were all complaining, why is this man eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Because what they were also upset about is in verse 15, there were many of them that followed him. Many of them. Many of them. Levi later became, does anybody know? Matthew, right? He's a follower of one of the disciples. And Levi had many friends. And all his friends, he introduced them to Jesus. When was the last time you and I introduced our friends to Jesus? Had people come over for dinner. Jesus loved being with Levi and his friends. And they followed him. Did you see that? We missed that phrase that Mark said. Many of them follow Jesus. Do you and I really want to be like Jesus? Right, Susan? Who's going to follow you? Who's going to follow me? Do we really want to be like Jesus? These are the men and women that follow Jesus. Prostitutes, drunks, people didn't give a rip about going to synagogue. They hung around Jesus. It's a habitual coming in the original language. Tim Keller wrote a book and asked this question, do we see ourselves with the company of sinners? Dr. Kim Keller is a Presbyterian pastor. He says the problem within the church, we do not see ourselves in the company of the sinners here. We don't see ourselves with them. I'm in the company of sinners. Did something yesterday I shouldn't have done. How about you? We all do. We're in the company of sinners, but do we see ourselves? We sing a song, all the poor and powerless, all the lost and lonely. Oh, what a beautiful song. Let's be honest. How many of us, when we worshiped and sang that song, thought of ourselves today as all the poor and powerless, all the lost and lonely? If we're really honest with ourselves, it's words on a screen. When was the last time I saw myself as lost and lonely? When I look deep in time, I am lost and lonely. Amen? We're all lost and lonely. But yet, I wonder how many of us were getting mad because Dan and the team shouted. Go on and tell. Well, you know what? He didn't do it once. He didn't do it twice. He didn't do it three times. He did it four times. Four times. How many of us are like, oh, geez, here we go, repeating it over and over again. Shout it. Go on and tell it from the mountains that he is God. Go and tell it to the masses that he is God. It didn't say whisper it. It said shout it. Now you shouted how you shouted, how you're wired, right? Us extroverts shouted loudly, introverts shouted quietly. To shout it. The whole point is to say it. However, God made you and wired you, say it. 
And even if you don't say it, then live it. Live and walk with those. And then they ask you about Jesus. All the poor and powerless. That's me and you. These verses and our passage today make it very, very clear. Very clear. That our Lord's lifestyle was radically different than ours. Radically different than ours. Do you see it? Completely different. Dr. Neighbor then said to all of us, quote, if you and I are out in the fields, we will never see the harvest. Because Jesus said, look into the fields. They're ripe and ready in the harvest. Pray to the Lord that he will send workers into the harvest field. If we're not out there living it, <laughs> the good news is, I don't think I see any other pastors in this room. You get it? You're out there. Me too, right? So you're out in the harvest field all the time. You have people at work in your neighborhood, people in the retirement communities. You realize that? Even in our Christian retirement communities that are far from God, that don't know Jesus. So on the first night of our conference, <laughs> Dr. Neighbor announced to us, remember we were there 10 days? He said, starting tonight, I'm sending you out into the neighborhood because you're going to be here 10 days. We're going to go out in the neighborhood. I'm going to send you to a specific place where I know that there will be a lot of people in Chesapeake, Norfolk, and Virginia Beach that go every day and every night, just like we have in our community, and you're going to go to these places. It's one specific place. Where do you think he sent us? Every neighborhood has them. Some neighborhoods and cities have more. People gather there all the time. Some gather as early as lunch by 3, 4 o'clock, and they're there all night long. The yep, the bar. Everybody's mouth dropped wide open. Can you imagine? What? Sending us to a bar. He outlined it that he contacted bars in all four of those cities and made arrangements and let them know. And he says, when you go, you tell the truth. You're going to go in twos. Jesus sent everybody in twos. You're going to go in twos. And you're going to go and say, hey, we're pastors and we're just coming here every day. And we're just coming here to get to know the people and just pray for anybody. Anything that's going, you're going to establish relationship because you're here for 10 days. <laughs> Amy, <laughs> my pastor friend next to me had said, I'm a Baptist. I mean, my deacon board, if I go home and tell them, how was it? And I spent time in a bar? Think about it. We spent all this money for you to go to a bar. Right? We had stuff all during the day, but that's what we did every night. First night, we went out and prayed, just like Dr. Neighbor, right? We prayed in the area that we went in. Went in, he said, you will go in and you will order all the time. Buy, be a paying customer and order, and just sit and talk with people. Uh, I had a different partner every night. <laughs> And the guy I was with was so nervous. I mean, so nervous. He, he couldn't even come in with me. Uh, I'm an ACOA. I'm an, an adult child of an alcoholic. So where do you think I spent my time growing up with my dad? Yep, in a bar. I ordered Shirley Temples and Roy Rogers. Anybody heard of that? Do you know what they are? Yeah, little kid, but think about that. That's a whole other story, isn't it? Sitting with my dad in the bar. So they weren't foreign for me. I said, come on. 
His name is Harold. I said, come on in. He was so nervous. He said, it's going to be okay. Because he, didn't, he wanted us to sit together, but then also sit at different places, you know, in the bar store at a table, and then just start conversation, then have dinner together. He was a nervous wreck. He said, it's going to be fine. And then he asked to stay with me the rest of the week because he got more and more calm as we went to the bar. But I do want to tell you a story about Roger, one of the pastors. He was in our small group because then we came back and talked and debriefed every day. Roger went. He was pastor of a church in Indiana. He was another pastor that has never in his entire life went to bar. He was very nervous also, just like my buddy Harold was. He said his first night when he went with his partner, his partner went sad. He sat on the bar stool. They're huge, right? And he ordered a Coke. And you know, bartenders put a straw in it. Now, those of you that have this background, and I'm sharing this in love to those in the recovery community, right, know that you don't drink anything out of a straw in a bar, right? You take the straw out, right? Well, he didn't know that, so he was drinking his Coke with the straw, and he had so nervous that he was dry mouth that the flaw stuck to the tongue of his mouth. You with me? The straw stuck to the tongue of his mouth. So he'd drink it, and the straw would be pointing out like that. He'd pull it down, put it back in, put it up. He was just a nervous wreck. So after a couple of days doing this, and then he would, they would do the same thing, have conversation with the people right next to them, and a lot of times they noticed the same people came at the same time. Right, Joe? They're every day. All of a sudden he said, there's a community at the bar. I said, yes, there is. There is a community there, just like this. And they come all the time. So they would have dinner every night, and Roger shared with us that uh, this guy kept coming over, just asking them about their meal over and over again. Every single night was the same guy came and asked him about their meal. And finally, the guy said this, I can't take this. You've been here like three nights, four nights in a row, and you come here, do the same thing. I've been watching you. Um... I just want you to know my, uh, I'm the owner of this bar and something's up with you too. And they told the truth. We're pastors, we're at this conference. This is what our leader did. And, that's what, and he said, get the blank out of here. I said, no, that's the truth. He says, you're blanking me. I said, no, it's the truth. He said, really? He said, really? He says, no, because I know who you really are. You're not pastors. You're from the Virginia Department and the Bureau of Alcohol and Licensing because you're here to check my liquor license out and do everything I'm doing. Don't give me this BS that you're pastors. They had to pull out IDs and show that they were pastors, their business cards. He said, really? He said, yeah. So what do you think the owner did? He sat down next to him, started talking. And then Roger said this, did you say your name is John McPherson? He said, yeah. He said, well, I'm just going to ask you this. He said, do you happen to have a brother named Dave McPherson? And he said, yes, I do. Haven't spoke to him in decades. How in the blank do you know him? He said, well, 30 years ago, I was a student at the University of Cincinnati, and I was part of Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, your brother Dave was part of that with me. And we served together. And all of a sudden, John welled up with tears. 
and said, Dave has always told me about Jesus, but I didn't want anything to do with him because I thought you all were hypocrites and fake. And he judged me that I owned a bar. But what he was saying was always real, wasn't it? And here you guys are. You come back here every night, no problems. Stood up and said, hey, everybody, here's my new friend, Roger. Drinks on me. He's a pastor. Would you believe it? Every night, Roger came. Last night, treated him to a steak meal. Back in 1996, the war in Bosnia was taking place. Remember I said I'm in Norfolk, Chesapeake Bay? Sailors are there, right? Roger stayed in contact with John, the owner of the bar, prayed with him before he left. John called him up and said, many of the people here, their sailors are leaving. His church sent care packages to all those sailors. Years later, we came back for a very smaller conference to check in. And Roger shared with us in our group, he said our church is still connected to that bar to this day. And he said, even though at first the deacons were so upset, <laughs> they realized we spent all our time in this cognitive domain of learning. We need to go. So on that Sunday, when I got back at Crossroads coming to church, I announced, where did you think I was going? Fast Eddie's. I like that name. Some people were shocked in the church, and I said, I'm going to Fast Eddie's. It's a bar in downtown Forest Lake. I'd like to have a sign-up sheet, because I am not going by myself. One other person come with me during lunchtime, went during lunch. Everybody knew it. Because in a small community, everyone talks, did you see Pastor Bill was at Fast Eddie's? Tesla, did you see that? Everyone's going to talk about it. So I went all the time. Those that struggled, that were recovering alcoholics, you know, it was hard for them, but they said, I want to go, Pastor Bill. And we would go and have Coke together and have a meal together. By the way, bars have the best food. <laughs> they do. Now, you don't want to look back in that kitchen back there because it's greasy. Isn't it greasy back there? It's very greasy. But they have the best hamburgers. They do. Went every week to Fast Eddie's and became friends with people at the bar. And all of a sudden, they started showing up at church. I could go on and on with stories. But the best story of it all is George, the bartender, who I became really friends with, recovering alcoholic, and here he's working in a bar, right? Um, because these are all his friends prison sentence, everything. One day when I ordered, I was taking my money out, and he said, ah, don't worry about it. We'll get you later. Do you know what, Linda? I arrived. Guess what I got at the bar? A tab. I got a tab at the bar because I became one of them. Because I all along was one of them. 
that I became part of their community, that they trusted me, that I got a tab. And George knew that I would pay. Do you really want to be like Jesus? Do you really want to be like him? Who is God calling you to spend time with and to walk with and to love so that this place will continue to grow and reach many who don't know Jesus yet as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in each other so that just one person comes one step closer to Jesus. That's why we exist as the church. I want to be like Christ. How about you? Amen. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. You loved and met people where they were, not where they were not. You freely forgave them. You looked into their eyes with unconditional love and mercy and grace. Help me, help us to be just like you. Take us out of our comfort zones, Lord, no matter how young or old we may be, for all of us. No people. The hardest within our families, as you know that, Lord. And we also have work co-workers and neighbors and friends and classmates who we're on a journey with that we learn from because we're not better than. We've just experienced you and you've called us to share that as you've done with your disciples and that you still can call us today over 2,000 years later. We are all not healthy, but yet we feel like we're healthy and that we've arrived. We haven't arrived. We're on this journey. We are changed by your mercy and grace. We are saved by who you are and what you have done for us on the cross, forgiving us. And now may we continue to grow and learn as we walk with those, as we learn from those who don't know you yet. Move and work in me and us, Holy Spirit, so that we can be like you, Jesus. For your sake, for your glory, and for our neighbor's good, and all of God's children said, amen and amen. Will you stand with me as we sing?